Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Mark Colgan, the co-founder of Speak On Podcast and a mentor of B2B startups via Growth Mentor and Scalewise. Now we're talking B2B content marketing strategies and where to start. Thanks for downloading. Now, business-to-business content marketing is a different beast to business-to-consumer. The sales process can be a lot longer, more involved, with more authority and knowledge-building content needed. At the same time, we can't ignore that we're still marketing to people. Now, in this episode, I'm talking to entrepreneur and B2B startup mentor Mark Colgan, who shares some of his 13 years of experience in B2B sales and marketing. We're talking about how to start building your content strategies, and there's lots of advice on authority and trust building. Now you can find Mark at markcolgan.co.uk that's mark c o l g a n.co.uk and also on LinkedIn. Check out the links in the show notes. Now, can I quickly mention that Not Another Marketing Podcast is totally ad-free? I'd love it if you could give the pod a quick shout on social media, subscribe via your favorite podcast app. Just check out more podcasts at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. So the first thing I asked Mark was to explain where we should start when creating a content marketing strategy as B2B sales and lead generation can take quite a long time. Yeah, John, great question. And it certainly can be lengthy, um, especially as the deal size increases. So you may Mm. find that if you're selling a product which is around $1,000 per year, then the lead cycle might be a little bit shorter than a product that might be 100,000 or if we're talking enterprise could be in the millions. So the strategy does vary um, and the channels vary. However, the approach starts in the same place and it really comes down to understanding your ideal customer profiles, which are also known as the ICP and also your buyer personas. So your ideal customer profiles, they represent the type of companies that you want to sell to and to work with. Um, You could define that by geography. You could uh, define that by um, region of where they are. It could be employee headcount size. Uh, It could be the technology that they use. There are Mm -hmm. lots of different factors that you can use to determine your ideal customer profile. And then you move on to your buyer personas. And and that's all about the individuals within those companies who makes up the decision buying, uh, the, the, the decision making unit, um, who are the influencers in that decision, who are the authority with the actual spending power. Um, so any strategy really should start with understanding the ICP and buyer persona. And, and I think there's lots of stages, aren't there, as well to a B2B sale, especially when you're talking large ones that could last, you know, a sales funnel could last a year or even two, even even longer than that. Um, and there's different stages. Are we talking about trying to create different types of content for different types of stages of the funnel as such? Yeah. So um, HubSpot did a great job at simplifying this a few years ago, where you have mm. three different stages. You have the awareness, um, the consideration and decision. So awareness being the very top of the funnel. These are people that either uh, know that they have a problem or they are unaware that they have a problem. So there's two different jobs of marketing at that stage. It's to educate people who are unaware, and then uh, obviously to to target those people who are aware of the problem that you might be a solution. So your product or your service might be a solution. And, and that really moves them down in the consideration stage. So they've identified their problem and they've identified a few ways that they could solve it. And now they're considering their options. Um, the biggest competitor for most B2B brands is the status quo and people deciding not to do anything differently. 
Um, and then as you move further down the funnel, you have the decision. Um, and that typically is a lot more uh, content around social proof, um, reducing buyer's remorse <laughs> as well. Yeah. That's often yeah. something that still happens in the B2B space as well. Um, so as you look at your sales funnel or the stages in your CRM, uh, most B2B sales processes use a customer relationship management system. Yeah. Um, you will have different stages uh, in, in that pipeline. And um, you would want to create different content. And that's also known as sales enablement content. Uh, and that content supports the prospect through the sales stages. Do you think it's a good idea to try and map this out, actually sit down with maybe a bit of paper or a flowchart or a spreadsheet or whatever it is, and try and actually map out the different stages of the purchase, the different questions and pain points that people have, and then try and identify specific bits of content that we've got to create for all of those stages? Absolutely. Um, it really is a very smart thing to do. Um, I, the way that I like to do it is I actually start with the lower down the funnel. So in the consideration or decision stages, uh, because it's less work for me to do. I don't have to convince somebody that they're looking that they need a solution. So I start with the consideration phase content. Um, and then I, the last one I do is the awareness because I want to go right. after the lowest hanging fruit. Um, and by creating the content around the solution and your solution in particular, uh, can be a really great place to start. Um, you mentioned social proof uh, a couple of minutes ago, and, it, and, it, and obviously building trust and authority, uh, with especially when you when you're selling, you know, big money, money business mm -hmm. to business items. That's really important. Can we build that trust and authority through the content marketing? You, you can. Um, the one thing to remember is that the consumer is more savvy than ever before. Yeah. So um, it might make se more sense to uh, encourage your users or your customers to share testimonials and reviews. But this is where third-party review sites like G2 and Capterra are very useful in the B2B context and very similar to like you would have trust radius in the B2C or reviews on products on Amazon, for example. Um, it works the same because even though it is business to business, you're still selling to humans and yeah. they are still making decisions based on emotion, not always logic, uh, even for those multi-million pound deals. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely. It's business to people at the end of the day, I suppose, it isn't is. it? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you see people doing more of their own research, even on the on the B two B side of things? Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe the latest stat is that around seventy six percent of the decision has been made before a, a person will reach out to a salesperson in a B two B space as well. Right. And you know, it, we've never had this much access to information and to third party reviews before. Um, so yes, more and more uh, people are uh, researching. They're speaking to their friends. There's a concept of the dark funnel. Um, and it sounds really, really mysterious and almost that dangerous. That does, doesn't it? I like the sound <laughs> of that, yeah. Yeah, well, the dark funnel actually represents a lot of the places that people engage and, and communicate with each other. And, and it's, a lot of it is peer-to-peer -peer learning. So I'll give you an example. I'm in a Slack community for revenue executives. So sales, right. marketing uh, leaders are in there. And there isn't a day that goes by where um, people say, I'm looking at implementing a CRM. I'm choosing between X and Y. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Or uh, I'm looking for a lead research provider. Has anybody worked with X company? Now, the savvier marketers will be in there, in those communities with keyword alerts, and yeah. uh, they'll be able to jump in and respond. Um, but that's just one example of the dark funnel. We we can't really attribute that from a marketing point of view. It's very, very difficult to see the true attribution. Um, but I was uh, speaking on a, on a different podcast last month, and 
I was asked about customer delight and what's the ROI of delighting your customers. Yeah. And John, my answer was, I don't know. Yeah, I yeah, really yeah. don't know what the ROI is, but it feels right. It feels like the right thing to do. Surprising people, uh, going above and beyond. I can't put a dollar value on it, um, but I know it's the right thing to do. And, and I have the same approach to marketing too. Yeah, I was talking to somebody about ROI the other the, the other week on the podcast and, it, and, and very similar sort of conversation, but he was talking about uh, putting all the little tiny things that you don't think about that, that, that lead to your marketing overall. Like almost like, uh, you know, the... The marketing CRM system should be part of the marketing budget. Uh, the, the the price of the wraps on the vehicles that drive past people's houses, uh, those should be a part of that marketing marketing budget and, and it should be calculating the ROI from that as well. Yeah, but but where do you stop, right? I, so yeah. um, I, I used to work in HR uh, for a very well-known company in the UK and US, um, one of the largest. And we had a, uh, I was in recruitment and we had a whole philosophy of a good lever and what that was is when somebody left the business, um, no matter what the circumstances were, of course, if it was something serious and illegal, then this would be different. But yeah. if it was just somebody who was changing roles or focus or wanted a, a new start, give them an amazing experience when they leave because they'll tell all of their friends about how much they loved working at that company, how kind people were when they left, the gift that they received, yeah. the experience. And, and again... Could you attribute that to marketing? Probably, <laughs> if yeah. you do it right. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I've had some awkward leaving moments from companies at times when nobody really wants to talk to you anymore on the last day, do they? No, it's pretty good. I, 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 because because I worked for in the data space as well, I was like marched off the premises and I felt like a criminal. Um, yeah, but it, yeah. was, it was just my last day and I had to hand my laptop over and my key card and access. And yeah, it was odd. Yeah, yeah, no, I had a similar, I had a similar thing where a security guard came and got me at four o'clock yeah. an hour, an hour before everybody else left, and it was only because they wanted the mobile phone and the the key card and everything. But it was, yes. yeah, yeah, it's it's not good. And um, going back to the sales side of it, do you think a salesperson's job has changed much over the over the time because of all the content that we're creating? Yeah, I, I really do. I really do, and I, and I think um, I, I often say that when you stop selling, you start selling. Yeah. Um, so a lot of salespeople, or I won't say a lot, but the successful salespeople that I see in the market at the moment, they're constantly educating their market. They're educating the cost of not doing things differently. Um, they're educating on the efficiency of using their product, service, solution. Um, and because they are aware that the buyer's journey has changed, they want to be uh, positioning themselves as, trust, as a trusted advisor in that market. Um, and that's really how you succeed in sales. Um, there's a lot of channels uh, which we can go market on nowadays. So, so many, so many. Mm -hmm. um, do you think we need to build different types of content for the different platforms instead of just spraying one thing at everything? Yeah, yeah. So I think the first thing to think about when it comes to channels is only spend time on the channels that your customers are spending time on or your prospects are spending time on. Yeah. Um, I used to consult for a facilities management uh, company and they wanted an Instagram account. And I said, there's no point whatsoever creating an Instagram account because facilities managers aren't using Instagram to kind of learn and, and, and want to be marketed to on the platform. Although I did think that you could do a rate my Lou 
Instagram yes. account. Um, <laughs> and you could shame corporate offices for having terrible toilets. And that could work really, really well. Um, but, but no, uh, it, it comes down to which, which channels your prospects and customers are spending time on. And of course, you, you do need to adapt the content to, um, to fit with what works for that channel. But that's always changing as well. So um, it's funny when with um, mar when marketing you used to create three year uh, three year plans, whereas now I work in kind of three month sprints because things change so quickly. Yeah, because I suppose the, the LinkedIn side of things, which obviously is going to be a big part of business to business um, sales and lead generation, um, that's very very different, isn't it, from from the other channels. It really is. It really is. And we've got to remember uh, that it is business to people. Um, yeah, so create yeah. content that's valuable, that's helpful, that isn't overly salesy. Um, because if people want to reach out and ask if you can help them, they will. People are smart. Yeah. Do you enjoy LinkedIn? Do, what do you think of it? What I mean, do you enjoy being there? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I, I must admit, I batch my time on LinkedIn these days um, <laughs> yeah. because I I teach a few courses on outbound sales. Um, and I get lots of inbound inquiries and questions and people asking for my time. Um, I love giving my time freely without expecting anything in return, but it can get exhausting and yeah. it can be a little bit of a distract, uh, distraction. Um, so I tend to spend a few hours throughout the week, but I batch and block out my time to do so. But overall, I do enjoy it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I just I, I think the algorithm's working against me on LinkedIn because I just see people <laughs> people talking and walking and driving their cars with videos of themselves driving their own cars and things. And it's just, oh, that's dangerous. And yeah, shout, shouting be doing shouting at me all the time, telling me I should be doing it like they're doing it. <laughs> um, should video and podcasting also be part of our strategy nowadays, do you think? It really should be. And, and I think we, you know, I, I had this amazing moment a few years ago where my dad was in the kitchen. So my dad's in his mid 60s. Um, yeah. At the time, he was late 50s. And um, he had fixed the oven shelf or the oven door. Yeah. And it was quite a big job. Um, it was quite a big oven. And I said, how, how did you, uh, how did you work out how to fix it? And he said, oh, YouTube, this, there's this thing <laughs> called YouTube and it's got videos for everything. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that really just reflects the, the, the state of the buyer's journey as well. So we can go to YouTube. YouTube is the second most popular search engine behind Google and it's owned by Google. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of people looking for answers, for advice, for help on YouTube. And really what I would say to most companies, and it's the same for podcasts, if your competitors are on there, you need to be on there too. Because when people are doing this research, and remember, it's 76% of their journey is already undertaken before they reach out to a sales person or to a company. If you're not showing up and your competitors are, who do you think the prospects are going to speak to first? And do you think podcasting can work with this as well? It can, can, can build the authority and the trust and, and help as part of the strategy? It really can. And there's there's three ways that you can really leverage podcasts. Um, you can advertise on podcasts. Um, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. can have mid-roll and pre-roll. However, I think there's a bit of a banner blindness when it comes to podcast advertising. I, I personally skip some of the adverts when when they come on. Um, Zip, a bit Zip like Recruiter is driving yes. me mad. They are. They're one of the biggest spenders uh, when it comes to podcast advertising. Yeah. Um, but, but, but there I know that name, don't I? I know do? that. I yeah. know that. I know that name. Yeah. You do, you do. Well, you can't avoid them. Yeah. Um, then the two other strategies is to either create your own podcast and invite thought leaders and potentially customers onto your podcast. And then the, the third, which is the area that I specialize in, is actually speaking on other people's podcasts because it's a little bit like that third party social proof of using Capterra or Trust Radius. 
you're speaking on somebody else's podcast who are have established an authority and, and they've worked very, very hard to build up a, an audience. So by me speaking on podcasts, I get to reach an audience that I may never have reached before. Do you think business to business podcasts have to be as public as say a, a like this podcast, for example, where it's on Apple and Spotify and all, all over the place. Uh, the reason I ask the question is that I worked with a bank not long ago, and, and they only had that they only had 130 customers. We were financial advisors, and uh, and they had a podcast, and it was a private podcast, and it only went out to these people. Nobody else could listen to it. It was kind of private, but it was sales techniques. It was understanding the market and all that sort of thing. So, do you think there's a there's a place for that type of podcast? Uh- there really is. And, and I've seen an increase in these what's known as maybe internal podcasts, which might mm. be to your globally distributed team. So that company I mentioned I worked for before uh, had 4000 people just in the UK alone. Um, or you could have one for your customers is the one that you're describing as well. So there's no need for it to be public. And if you're educating your customers or educating your team, I just I just think of the internal communications team that we had at this company. And there was about 20 people in there for, for the UK. Um, and they would update an intranet, which nobody read. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, and it just wasn't being consumed. But with these private podcasts, you can actually see statistics on who's listened or or maybe not the individual, but how many people have listened, how long they've listened to. And also I think it's very beneficial if you have field sales, people that are on the road, maybe traveling a lot as well. Um, I think a lot of the service-based businesses, like if you imagine lorry drivers or truck drivers, they're in a cabin, they're in a car, they're they're driving and a podcast is a really easy way to communicate with them uh, on demand. Yeah, you're, yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, I mean, you can show people, you can you can email people those slide decks with, you know, and they just ignore them, or they flip yes. they flip through them, and it's like it's just gone over the head. But I suppose if you're talking about a salesperson who's driving, who's on the road a lot, they can have the podcast and the training actually being spoken to them. That's a really good idea, that isn't it? Yeah, and and I think especially for sales, because oftentimes you'll have a if you've got a large sales organization, there's going to be new competitors coming into the market. There's going to be new product, uh, new features features that your product is evolving if we're talking software and it's a really great way to communicate with people and not um, kill them through death through uh, uh, through presentation slides yeah oh god yeah yeah death by powerpoint um that's it uh, now a business 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 to business sale or, or even lead generation i suppose it can be obviously complicated how how much do you think marketing marketing automation should play a part in this I think it should help facilitate things. Um, I don't think uh, it should automate everything. So a lot of them, uh, the, I used to be a marketing technology consultant. So I used to mm. build automation uh, and tech stacks for, for companies. And one of the biggest mistakes I'd often see is that they were like, Mark, we want to automate everything. Yeah. And I'm like, well, does everything work right now? Are, are we just going to end up automating a bad process or a bad strategy? Another Another uh, kind of misconception about automation is that um, you don't need content. So I had one customer and I like, Mark, I want a 12-month nurture sequence, so an email sent out once a month for 12 months. I said, okay, one second. Um, in three minutes, I had the automation ready. And I said to the client, I was like, okay, give me the content. Yeah. And he was like, what? What, what content? Um, you, you know, automation really, really does build around that content and you have to have the content. And as you mentioned before, John, about mapping it to the different uh, levels of the of the buyer's journey in the funnel. Because automation can feel like it's being automated, can't it? It can really feel like you're being automated at. 
Yeah, so, but here's an example of a, a really simple automation that I've set up uh, in my business. So if somebody books a meeting with me on my uh, calendar link, so that's automation because yep. we don't have to have the back and forth. It goes into their calendar, it goes into mine. I now get a notification in Slack, which we use to communicate with the team. Yep. And it says, hey, Mark, John has booked a call with you on the 18th of August to speak about this. Um, record a video and send it to him using this draft. And yep. I've got a link to a draft uh, email in my, uh, in my uh, inbox or in my outbox. So I just pull up my phone, record a quick video. I say, hey, John, really looking forward to speaking to you later on today or whatever the day may be. Um, if you've got any questions beforehand, please let me know. I paste that video link into the draft email and hit send. Yeah. So that's an example of automation. It's not, it's not replacing me or the relationship I'm hoping to build, but it's helping me build that relationship faster. Yeah, it's taking away some of the, some of the, the, the menial tasks, I suppose, some of the tedious stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, where do you see automation and integrations at at the moment? Because uh, a lot of organizations, particularly the big tech companies and, and the, the, the big names in marketing, you know, HubSpots and MailChimps and people like that, they say, oh, we integrate with everything. It's all as smooth as butter. But when you mm -hmm. actually come down to it, it's really not, not there yet, is it? It's not. It's not. So where do I see it? It's confusing. I think that's, yeah. that, that's probably the place to start. Um, really, it takes a lot of thought and discipline to really think out and map what you want to automate and what you don't. And when you're thinking about what you need to automate, you really need to understand the level of data that you're going to be automating as well. How are you naming things? Um, what fields are you going to need in these various systems that need to sync to each other? Yeah. So the website will say, yes, we integrate with X and Y, um, which is great. It does. Fantastic. But yeah. the planning that goes into that and building out the data structure and the taxonomies that you need to use um, is actually quite complicated. And, and really, I do see um, as an as a ex-MarTech consultant, uh, it's a very valuable thing to bring in because it's like trying to build your house yourself. Um, and then the architect comes around to check the planning and they say, well, no, this isn't right. You need to rip it down. And unfortunately, a lot of companies go through that process of spending so much time in implementing software for it to not work and, and get the results they're looking for. Yeah, I was trying to implement um, some weird uh, sort of shopping cart system into MailChimp, into Zoom webinars uh -huh. uh, the other week. And, and, and everything was working great until the fact that, that nobody dealt with MailChimp tags. Mm, exactly. And it's like, oh, well, that's that's ruined everything because the entire list is focused on tanks. And it's yeah. that type of problem that you come across, isn't it? It is. Um, I, I have a whiteboard for this. I also bought an iPad the other day so I can draw things because pen and paper is really, really, or, or pen and whiteboard is really useful to, to map out the different flows and and, and you can kind of follow the flow with your finger almost as you're, as you're looking um, at the drawing um, because it's very, very hard to do, to do that in a Word document, if that makes sense. But actually drawing it out because you may have, drew, uh, you may have drawn all of that out, John, and thought, ah, crap, the merge tags, yeah. uh, they're, they're not, yeah. they're not, how do I get those in? Yeah. Uh, and, and the solution might be you fire off to a spreadsheet and then you pull in from the spreadsheet. Yeah. So it could have just been an extra step you needed, but having that mapped out and drawn out on on paper um, doesn't have to be as fancy as an iPad. Um, so yeah, it's it's just really, really, it's a very useful exercise to go through. Yeah. So so if we if we want to try and do do our B two B stuff at scale and we're we're using a bit of automation, that can you share any tools that you think might might help? 
Yeah, so you certainly want to have a CRM, so a customer relationship management tool. So HubSpot, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, is one of them. Salesforce is a fantastic CRM. Um, and you also want to make sure that you've got a marketing automation tool. So if you imagine that your CRM is your store of data, it keeps all the information about your customers in, in there, um, whether that be information about their company size, their number of employees, or down to the previous interactions you've had with that company. That's what a CRM is great for. When it comes to marketing automation, um, that really is a tool that allows you to fire off events or trigger things to happen based on the information that you have in your CRM. So a simple example would be if I've had a discovery call with somebody um, and, and this is in my CRM and I move the deal to a different stage in the pipeline, I can actually trigger an automatic email that says, hey, John, thank you so much for your time today. As discussed, here's what the next steps are. Yeah. And that can be completely automated. So I believe CRM and marketing automation are the two fundamentals that you need. And of course, marketing automation covers email marketing as well. Yeah, and I think planning planning it out is the main thing absolutely. before you do That's it. That's the first it? thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Mark, I could chat for hours about this, Mark. It's fascinating stuff. Um, where can we find you? Where's your website and all your social media bits and pieces? Yeah, sure. So um, the best place to find me are, is LinkedIn. So you can find me at Mark Colgan. Um, you'll see the little Portuguese flag as I'm, I'm based in Portugal these days. Cool. Um, and the uh, the business where I'm spending most of my time these days in the podcasting space is called speakonpodcasts.com. Fantastic, Mark. Really appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you, John. This has been great. Thanks again to Mark for his time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, you can subscribe for more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favourite podcast player. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.